So when was the last time you took a vacation? And remember, a vacation is different than a trip, right? Uh, both include travel. But on a trip, you stay with family or friends in their spare bedroom or on that pull-out couch, and they give you one of those extra pillows that they have in the cabinet but rarely use, and it's really thin. And so you wake up with, like, taco neck. Anybody? Right? And they say things like, hey, we haven't been to the grocery store in a month, but um, help yourself to anything in the fridge. I hope my parents aren't watching right now. Now, that's a trip, Right? A vacation is another story entirely. On a vacation, you've got that bellhop with the funny hat, and he carries your bags to your room, and then the bed has like 42 pillows on it, and the sheets are like 12,000 thread count. And when you order a cold drink by the pool, they put a little yellow umbrella in it just to shade it from the sun, right? Sue's with me. Yes, that's a vacation, right? When was the last time you took a vacation, and where did you go? It's been a little while since I forced you to interact with the people you're seated next to, so let's try it. Turn to some people next to you, not the ones you came here with, because they already know where you went on vacation. <laughs> Tell them where you last went on vacation. Ready? Go. All right, so what did you hear? Jamaica. Jamaica? Yes. All right. Who else? What did you hear? Where did you go on vacation? Shout it out. Hawaii? Okay. Who else? Yosemite. Yosemite. Well done, sir. Yes. Where else did you go on vacation? That, you couldn't have said Baghdad. What did you say? Backpacking, okay, yes. Backpacking, yes. Sue, say again. Ireland. Well done there, mate. Yes, Stuart. Scotland. Scotland, oh, yeah. Obviously, you're going to say that, Stuart, right? <laughs> okay. What a gift it is. It's been a little while since some of us have taken a vacation. They're a little bit hard to come by these days, aren't they? Right? I mean, if you can find a place you can actually go, even after the past two years, you might have to hire your own flight crew to get there, right? <laughs> and then you have to take out a second mortgage to fill the plane with fuel, right? And then just pray the plane actually shows up from wherever it's supposed to be coming from. Now, in a moment, we're going to open God's Word together, and you're going to look at what we're reading from as we continue our series, Summer in the Psalms, and you're going to wonder, what is Curtis talking about? Why are we thinking together about vacations? But I think it may be the closest we can get to understanding the longing of the psalmist in Psalm 84. I want us to think about those places that we longed for, those places we looked forward to, those places that we loved to be. And if we can hold on to that, then we might get a little glimpse of what the psalmist is expressing to us in Psalm 84. Not only think about those places, but think about what happened as a result of being there and how you felt when you came home. Hear God's word. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord Almighty. My soul yearns, even faints, 
for the courts of the Lord. Now, in the original Hebrew, these verbs are past tense. It says, literally, my soul yearned, my soul fainted for the courts of the Lord. The implication being, and now at long last, I'm here. But notice, being in the place is not enough for the psalmist. It's not enough to yearn and to faint, to be in a particular place. The yearning and the fainting is for the power and the presence of God. So, my heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may have her young. A place near your altar, Lord Almighty, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. Now, remember, um, the valley of Baca is a dry and desolate Desert. It's, it's sometimes referred to even metaphorically in the scriptures. It's a literal place, but then God's people would refer to it metaphorically whenever someone was hurting or hopeless or helpless. That word baka is a reference to the balsam tree, which grows in exceedingly dry conditions and oozes a sap that looks like individual tears. Which is how we respond, Right? When we're in the Valley of Baca, when we're feeling hopeless, when we're feeling helpless, when we're hurting. And yet notice what happens for these pilgrims. The psalmist writes, the Valley of Baca becomes a place of springs covered with pools. I'm not sure about cold drinks with yellow umbrellas, but we'll look into the Hebrew a little bit more on that. He continues, God's people go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Hear my prayer, Lord God Almighty. Listen to me, God of Jacob. Look on our shield. That's a reference to the king. Look on our king, O God. Look with favor on your anointed one. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those whose walk is blameless. Lord Almighty, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for gathering us together in this place. Would you open our eyes and our ears in the time we have together to hear not only the words you've spoken in me that you'll now speak through me, but may we hear your word, where my words fall short as they always will. Let it fall away like chaff. And yet, let the wheat of the good news of the gospel remain. We pray it in the name of Jesus and for the sake of his inbreaking kingdom. Amen. Charles Spurgeon once said that Psalm 84 was the pearl of the Psalms. He said, if the 23rd Psalm is the most popular and if the 103rd Psalm is the most joyful, the 119th is the most experiential and the 51st the most plaintive. He said, Psalm 84 is the sweetest of the psalms of peace. I mentioned last night to a friend that I was preaching on Psalm 84 and she just clapped her chest. She said, oh, I love Psalm 84. That's exactly why. The same thing Charles Spurgeon was writing about. It's just one of the sweetest psalms of peace. Now, Psalm 84 is a pilgrim psalm. Like others, it tells the story, tells the tale of journeying to Jerusalem for one of the high holy days. 
Such festivals were foundational to the Jewish faith, especially after the 40 years of the wilderness wandering. And these festivals were meant to remind God's people that they were still a pilgrim people. That though they had arrived in the promised land, they had not yet attained the presence and the power and the fullness of the kingdom of God. And so attending these festivals was meant for God's people to be formed and to be made. It's been said that a vagabond has no home, and a stranger is away from home. A fugitive is running from home. Now, we know that those tales are are the stuff of movie plots. Think of all the movies and the books we've read that are about traveling um, into the wild and Thelma Louise. That one didn't work out real well, did it? Um, Easy Rider, right? How many of you? When I said the word fugitive just a couple minutes ago, you couldn't stop but think about Harrison Ford running from Tommy Lee Jones for a crime he didn't commit. Oh, just me? Okay, there we go. Thank you. Okay, good. Four of us. Good. But long before there were movie theaters and streaming services, God's people would travel to attend feasts, like the one Connor read for us from John chapter 7. Not as vagabonds without a home not as strangers away from home, not as fugitives running from home, but as pilgrims who are headed home. The psalmist yearned, he fainted to journey to Jerusalem, to be in the sanctuary which was the center of faith. It might seem like the psalmist got a little bit distracted after he got there. Did you notice uh, in verse 2, after his arrival, why does he notice nesting birds? Did anybody notice that? Does that seem a little bit weird to anybody else? It's like he's talking about how happy he is to be at church, and then, squirrel! (laughs) Right? Like, what is that about? Now, we all know that can happen during church, right? (laughs) Right? Especially during football season, amen? I know, I know, I know. In a few short weeks, when football is back, I see you with your smartphones. I know you're not praying for me while I'm preaching. And you don't pray as long as it takes for the Rams to rush 80 yards and get a touchdown. I know. And we're Presbyterians. I know that you don't raise your hands over your head in the middle of a sermon unless you just got the last-minute field goal to win the game. I know. I know. It's okay. We understand each other. Now, on the surface level, the psalmist notices the birds because that's what he most wants. He wants rest and refuge just like those birds there in the temple. That's why he wishes he was a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. That line um, prompted the legendary James Montgomery Boyce to say, Psalm 84 is really really the janitor's psalm. The psalmist desires to be a doorkeeper rather than anywhere else in the world. He's kind of like the janitor who never leaves the temple. But Psalm 20, or excuse me, Proverbs 26 tells us that swallows and sparrows were known to never rest. They were considered fidgety and worthless. That's why Jesus asks, are not five sparrows sold for just two pennies? But these birds, constantly flittering and fluttering, have found a home in God's house. They find rest. They find refuge. And the psalmist longs to be like them, to be a doorkeeper, to be a janitor in the house of God. And perhaps there's an even deeper connection for us in our day and age. How often are our lives characterized by that same kind of flying this way and that, flittering and fluttering, 
like the doves Moses first sends out from the ark who, who find no rest and, or refuge? How often, I won't ask for a show of hands, but, but how often do we feel weary and worn out? And as a result, maybe even worthless, like a sparrow sold for a penny. Now, we know there's a reason that we feel this way. We live in an increasingly fast-paced, frantic culture where we run from one thing to another. Even those of us who are retired find ourselves busier than ever. Remember what Corey Ten Boom said. If the devil cannot make us bad, he will make us busy. <laughs> if the devil cannot make us bad, he will make us busy. This is true. Um, a recent study found that the average iPhone user touches their iPhone 2,167 times in any given day. That's over the course of two and a half hours, this is the average, and 76 different sessions they pick up their phone. Millennials are twice that. Those millennials are the worst, aren't they? <laughs> Another study at the University of Virginia found that left alone in an empty room without a phone or any other distraction, two-thirds of men and a quarter of women would rather shock themselves than sit alone in silence. But did you catch the number? It was two-thirds of men and a quarter of women. Guys, we're not surprised, right? That sounds like something we would do. See, we crave distraction. We, we crave this flittering and fluttering around just like those sparrows and swallows. In an article for New York Times Magazine, um, Andrew Sullivan once put it this way. He said, a sustained spiritual life is simply unfeasible for most mortals without these refuges from noise and work to buffer us and to remind us who we really are. A sustained spiritual life is simply unfeasible without refuges where we can be reminded who we really are. Maybe we're not bad, but boy, are we busy. Unable to find rest and refuge. Unable to make a home in the house of God. Like many other psalms, Psalm 84 is written in chiastic structure. You know, the stories we tell have a climax at the end, right? Like when Dr. Richard Kimball is finally exonerated, right? Or, um, or when Luke is talking to Darth Vader and Darth Vader says, I am your father and our minds are blown and the movie ends. The stories we tell have that climax at the very end of the story, but the Hebrews told stories differently, or at least wrote poetry differently. These psalms often have the meaning in the middle. The first verses are about dwelling in God's house, and those correspond to those last verses about trusting in God. Yearning for God's courts finds fulfillment later in being there. The birds finding their home points forward to their prayers being welcomed as well. But the meaning is in the middle. If you have your Bibles open, notice verses 4 and 5. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, for they are ever praising you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. In other words... Blessed are those who aren't flittering and fluttering around, but have entered the rest and the refuge of God. And again, this is the same blessed that we've seen a number of times in this series, Summer in the Psalms. When we think of blessing, we think of God's favor, of God's fortune. But again, this is just like we've seen in previous psalms. This is not a reference to God's favor. It's our response to God's favor. It's best translated as happy or as how happy. The literal Hebrew says, happy are those 
in whose heart are the highways. Happy are those in whose heart are the highways. You see, there's this, this recognition, there's this realization that journeying to Jerusalem is not just about being there like the swallows and the sparrows, but for God's people, their pilgrimage and their praise prepares a kind of pathway in their heart, a pathway for God's presence and God's power. They found a sustained spiritual life because they found rest and refuge in God. Their travel brought about their transformation Their festivals formed them in a particular way. It's even better than cold drinks with yellow umbrellas. Because even the best vacations are only a week or two at a time, and then it's back to the grind, right? In his book, The Power of Habit, Why We Do What We Do in Life and in Business, um, author Charles Duhigg um, highlights the importance of habits in our daily life. We've talked about this before. Um, Duhigg refers to a a Duke University study that found 40% of what we do throughout the day are not decisions at all, but habits. Like, for instance, what did you do when you first woke up this morning? Did you hop in the shower or make a pot of coffee? Uh, Did you grab the paper? Did you turn on the TV? Those weren't decisions, but those were habits. Those were our brain's way of saving energy, of doing the same thing, the same routine over and over. But what's most fascinating in his exploration of habits is Duhigg explores what he calls keystone habits. He says that there are simple and singular habits that affect everything else in our lives. Keystone habits are how couch potatoes can become marathon runners simply by changing one small thing at a time. We were once talking about this in a doctoral class that I was in, uh, my professor uh, named Jim Singleton. And um, another classmate said, yeah, you know, little habits that we have in, a daily, in our daily lives really make a huge impact for the rest of our lives. And, and Jim's written books and led megachurches and, you know, teaches at Gordon-Conwell. And he was kind of, kind of giving us a furrowed brow. And uh, a classmate of mine said, well, you know, Jim, the most successful people in the world always make their bed. And Jim's response, if I can quote him, was, what? (laughs) I got the feeling he didn't make his bed very often. (laughs) But here's the point. Here's why I tell you about all that. God's word tells us all about keystone habits long before New York Times reporters and Duke University studies that a sustained spiritual life requires traveling to the temple being formed by festivals. Instead of flittering and fluttering around, their hearts could be like highways for the power and the presence of God. After the past two and a half years, I wonder and sometimes I worry that we've lost some of those keystone habits. And I don't only mean we, but I mean we. That the past two years, We have lost those keystone habits of what makes us and what forms us into being and even more so becoming God's people for the sake of the world. That we gather together not for the programs we enjoy or the people we love to see or even to be together in this particular place, as good as it is to be together, but to have our hearts become highways by this holy habit of worship. 
A.W. Tozer once put it this way. He said, there is no such thing as Sunday worship unless it's accompanied by Monday worship and Tuesday worship and so on. If you do not worship God seven days a week, you do not worship him on one day a week. Psalm 84 puts it a little bit more positively, kind of the other way around. Psalm 84 says that being here is a keystone habit, that gathering together with God's people is a keystone habit, that getting together for Bible studies and sharing prayer requests and living life together is a keystone habit that reforms us from the inside out, that remakes us from the inside out, that by being here, our hearts become like highways for the power and the presence of God. That's why Jesus stands up at the festival in John chapter 7, in that passage Connor read for us a few moments ago. God's people had journeyed to Jerusalem for the festival of booths. The festival of booths is a reminder of the wilderness wandering. And so they would set up makeshift shelters and stay in them throughout the festival there on the temple courts to be reminded that they are a pilgrim people, to be reminded of the wilderness wandering. And so Jesus stands up And they wonder where he's from. It's not only a question of location, it's a question of pilgrimage. They ask, isn't he the one from Galilee? Didn't he travel here just like us? What makes him so special to make these bold proclamations about the kingdom of God? And they unknowingly affirm an even deeper truth, don't they? That Jesus journeyed not only from Galilee to Jerusalem, That Jesus journeyed from the heights of heaven to take on human flesh. To show us what a truly blessed, what a truly happy life looks like. A life led by the Spirit. Where everlasting water flows through us, even when we're in the valley of Baca. Ultimately, of course, this Jesus is rejected from the temple. He's crucified outside the city gates so that we might be welcomed in. So that we might be welcomed in, not only to the sanctuary, not only to the temple, but to the eternal family of God. That we might find a home that our hearts would be like highways. And so we may not feel very bad, but boy, are we busy. And only in Jesus are we blessed. Only in Jesus are we blameless. Only in Jesus, because of his sacrifice on our behalf, that he was rejected and he was condemned so that we could be welcomed in. May our spiritual lives be so sustained. May we find rest. May we find refuge from noise and work. And may we be reminded of who we really are. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. You are worth the king of glory coming from the heights of heaven to take on human flesh, to die in your place, that you might be welcomed into this place and welcomed into the family of God. May we make that a holy habit finding rest and refuge, being reminded of who we are and whose we are. Father in heaven, we give you thanks for gathering us together in this place, for the opportunity we have to worship you in spirit and in truth. May we not take it lightly.
that we are worth more than many sparrows, worth even the life of your Son, our Savior Jesus. Would you continue to gather us to be your pilgrim people, not as vagabonds or as strangers, not as fugitives, but as pilgrims who are searching for our true home, which we only find in you. God, would you open our eyes and ears to the times that we gather together in this space and in our homes as we gather together as your people. Would you form us in knowing who we are and whose we are. We pray it all in the name of Jesus, for the sake of his kingdom, in whose name we worship this morning. Amen.